Man, there is nothing, nothing like coming together to lift the name of Jesus higher. You know, it's a, it's a real privilege for me to be here this morning. My name's Phil. I'm one of the pastors, a part of the team here at here at True North, and it's so cool to be here. This is my uh, this is my first weekend at True North Merrow. I was going to say my first service, but yeah, it's cool, right? For for you guys, it's like your your second week or your your second service. But it's great to be. And can I just say? This, this is just such an incredible time in our church at True North, such an incredible season to be a part of. And, and I just wanted to take a moment to, to recognize my friend, Pastor Michelle Gomans, who, who you guys, you know, you know she's, she's put so much, and we're just so grateful for you, for, for Michelle. We're so grateful for you and the way you respond to God's leading in your life and, and what you've been able to do here at our, at our campus here. It's so, so cool. Can we thank Michelle one more time? I love Michelle. She was, a, she was a children's pastor when she first came on board at our church. She actually replaced me in that role. I'm still a little uh, hurt by that. No, really, it was like the best thing ever for me and the church. So I've been grateful for Michelle ever since that. Brad's laughing especially loudly. I believe you asked me to be the children's pastor. Uh, <laughs> But, you know, it's so, it's so good to be here. And, and the passage of Scripture I shared just a moment ago is something that I want to make the focus for us this morning. Because I believe so passionately that, that God is calling us as a church into a particular shape for Him. And I'm not talking about buildings or facilities or anything like that. I'm talking about the people that God is dreaming us to be. The people that God is inviting, the person God's inviting you to be, dreaming you to be. That God actually has a picture for what we look like together at True North. And it's going to be such an amazing thing over the next few years, the next five years, to be a part of seeing the shape that God leads us to become. Now, I don't know exactly what that's going to look like. I'm so excited and just stoked to be a part of it. But I don't know exactly what it's going to look like. But I do know exactly where it's going to start. If we're going to be the church that God believes for, that God dreams for, if we're going to be the people that, that God passionately sees in becoming something new, in Him. It's going to start with that exact phrase, simply in Him. If we're going to become the church that this community needs, it's going to start in Him. If I'm going to be the person of faith that God believes for and dreams for in my life, it's going to start in Him. If you're going to be a person of faith, a follower of Jesus that becomes everything God would invite you to be, it's going to start again in Him. So we're going to talk about this idea we're going to talk about this idea a lot this morning. But, but first of all, I had, a, I had a cool experience a couple of weeks ago. I, I say cool experience. It was really kind of a challenging experience. And as part of getting things set up here at, at Mel, uh, Marawa, we, uh, we, uh, I and a, a couple of extraordinary gentlemen had the task of assembling and installing a garden shed. H- has anyone done that before? A few hands. And it's kind of like it's begrudging hands. I've done that job, and I wish I hadn't. It was kind of, I was kind of thinking, this job, it's going to be a moderately difficult job. We've got a good team. We're going to get this done. Turns out it was a very difficult job. Uh, we still kind of got it done, though. It's cool. And, and what I loved about it, when I first started, I was like, this is fine. It's like, it's like a giant Lego set, right? Like it kind of came in three boxes. It kind of, you know, maybe Meccano because there were sheets of metal involved, that kind of thing. And, and we picked up these boxes. And actually, it was really funny. I've never seen this in like a, a flat pack or anything. It had this special warning on the front of the main box. And it said something along these lines. It said, you may be tempted 
to ignore the instructions. This isn't like an exaggeration. It literally had this warning on the box. You may be tempted to ignore the instructions and go ahead and just build the shed. Please don't ignore the instructions. I'm like, who designed this shed? I'm like, is this a a husband and wife team? And the wife's like, I've experienced this too many times with you. There's applause. Okay, there's a lot of wives that they're like, yeah, more things need to have this warning. Follow the instructions. But anyway, I had this warning, so I thought, okay, I should probably follow the instructions. But it's funny, isn't it? With anything like this that requires assembly, there's kind of there's two types of people, right? You've got the one type of person over here that, that you've got your, the thing that you're assembling, and you find the instruction, and you're like, this is the most important thing in the whole box. And you set it up in a place of prominence in the living room or wherever you're working. It's like, we need to follow this step for step for step. A- anyone like that here? A few hands. I love it. Every time I ask this, there's at least one overly passionate straight hand. And those people especially love the other kind of person that's over here and says, you know what? I'm kind of a big deal. I don't think I need the instructions. I know what a shed looks like. I got my cordless drill. I, dr- drew, I, clearly, I don't know what I'm talking about. I've got my cordless drill. I've got about 700 screws. I know what a shed looks like. When you made this thing happen? A- anyone like that? You know, there's, there's a, a few names for people like that. Sometimes they're called cowboys, mavericks, or men, uh, whatever. So was, was that fair? That was a bit too much. But and, uh, I'm kind of in the middle, right? I'm kind of in the middle. So we, we started this job, and I started with this mindset. The instruction manual is really important. I've got no idea what I'm doing, honestly. So this instruction manual matters. So step for step, I kept going back to the instruction manual. But then by about lunchtime, I kind of got a bit confident. Kind of had a bit of a swagger in the way I was approaching this task. It's like, I've got this. I know how this works. I'm not sure exactly what happened, but my focus on the instruction manual seemed to disappear. And it was right at the point where we got to assembling the panels that we'd been constructing. And the the instruction manual, it was just out of the equation at that point. And the inevitable result was that one of the panels got installed upside down. No, No big deal, right? Turns out, though, it was the panel with the doors. So we applied some creative problem solving and we got the shed to a functioning level, I think it's fair to say. So if you uh, happen to be on your way out, going back through the car park, you notice a garden shed, just appreciate it from about 100 metres away. And you're like, man, Phil and the team did a great job. Get too close and you might be like, wow, he should have, you know, focused on those instructions. But, but we had a lot of fun and, and we got it done. So, so here's the thing with, the, with this shed. So the designers, the manufacturers, they've got a design in mind, a shape in mind for what this shed's going to look like. And they've got this warning that says, follow the instructions because we want it to look how we've designed. But then I got to a point where I was like, I'm not following the instructions anymore. I've got this. I'm gifted enough to make this thing happen. And then all of a sudden, the shape that that shed took wasn't as the designer intended. Now, I think about the church, and I think about the shape that we're becoming, the shape that God intends for us as a community of believers. And I've got to ask the question, what is the thing that we need to keep going back to to make sure that we are becoming the shape that our designer, God, Jesus, has intended for us as a church? 
For us at True North, what's God's dream for us? What's the shape that we would take in our community, together as a church, in the widest city? What shape does God believe and dream for amongst us? Now, I'm thoroughly convinced that the answer to this question is incredibly simple. That the thing we need to keep going back to, every new step, every new season, a season, a new season we find ourselves right now, every new moment, every new day as a church, in my life as a person of faith, in your life as a person of faith, we have to keep going back to Jesus, centering ourselves on Jesus, allowing Him to be the one that gives shape to who we are, every new moment. Because the challenge can be sometimes we get that confidence about what we're doing. Yeah, we know how to be the church. I know how to live out my life of faith. I know the gospel story. I know how it all fits together. I can do this without Jesus. But the truth is, I can't do any of it without my Savior. We can't do any of it without our Savior. So as we think about what is the shape that God is building us to become, I can't tell you exactly what it might look like, but I can tell you that it's crucial that we stay in Him. You know, some 2,000 years ago, there was a church a little bit like ours. In fact, in fairness, it was probably completely different. It's in Colossae, different part of the world, different, part, different time in history. You know, preachers say stuff like that. It's like, yeah, they're just like us, right? Well, no. <laughs> but they were built on the exact same thing, and it was Jesus. And as a young church, they took their shape around who Jesus was, around the gospel as the Apostle Paul told and equipped them with. And they began to become a a church built on who Jesus was. But similar to me, halfway through their shed, they started to stop relying on Jesus. And they started to say, no, we've got this. We know what it means to be the church. And they started adding other things to it. They started defining their shape by things that simply were not the Son of God. And eventually they found themselves in a place where their church had taken on a shape that isn't what God had intended. And so the Apostle Paul writes to them this letter to take them back to Jesus. And that passage that I shared, excuse me, shared earlier was a portion of that letter saying, guys, we got to stay in Him. we got to remember who He is. We've got to understand that if we're going to become the church He invites us to be, there is no other option but to stay in Jesus. Let's go back to that scripture. In verse 15, it says this. Incidentally, one of my favorite passages in all the Bible. The Son is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn over all creation. Hold on to that word, first. For in Him, all things were created. He came before all things, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things, everything, have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. 
Now, what Paul's doing in this passage is communicating powerfully who Jesus is, how we should see him, how we come to understand how we connect and relate to him. He's saying that Jesus is the exact representation of the fullness of God's power. He's saying you don't need anything else because Jesus comes before everything else. In fact, everything only exists in him. Everything holds together in him. Jesus is first in his nature, the sovereign God. And there's an idea that Paul's building here. And I'm going to give you two words for it. The first is kind of like a a fancy theological term. And then I'm going to round that out with a completely made up word. So you're like, is this guy smart or dumb? I don't know. And he's, what Paul's speaking about is the preeminence of Jesus. What he's speaking about is the firstness of Jesus. Who knows which one of those words was made up? Mm, pretty sure firstness isn't a word. Anyway, but this is the idea that Paul is communicating, that in all things, no matter what it is, whether thrones or powers, rulers or authorities, no matter what it is, Jesus comes first. Can someone say amen? That Jesus actually, no matter what you're thinking about, no no matter what it is, Jesus precedes it. Because he is in his nature God. He comes first. Jesus is first. He is preeminent in all of creation. In his very nature God. Now this is the part where as people of faith... Or maybe you're on a journey of faith and this is new to you. Where you've got to make a decision and you've got to become aware of something. That in Scripture here, we have a picture of Jesus that is truth. I believe that the Word of God is ordained by the Holy Spirit. And it is profound truth. Whether I recognize it or not. Jesus is first. He's the God-ordained truth in Scripture. But here's what I've got to wrestle with. Sure, Jesus is first. The Word of God tells me. But what is the gap between the reality that I see in Scripture, the reality that I know in my universe? What is the gap between those verses we hear and what is the reality in my life? What's the distance between those verses and who Jesus is in my heart? You know, I've got a a cool English friend. Actually, I've got a couple of cool English friends. I'm actually kind of English myself, but I immigrated quite early, so no one would know. Praise the Lord. But I've got an English friend named Charlie, and he serves his guts out here at True North, and he's our service producer. That is what he does, right? He's just comic relief, all-around good guy. And, and, and Charlie, he's passionate about the presence of God, and he's so excited to be a part of what's going on here. But he is also English, and he's like full-blown English. He's eating scotch eggs and all kinds of things. Anyone a scotch egg fan? If you are, you're probably English. Yep, yep. See those hands? Yep, everyone's like nodding. Yep, I'm English. You got me. And, uh, but one of the things that, that Charlie loves is soccer, or as he would say, football. And, and one of the things that he'll tell me uh, about soccer is that it's the most popular game in the whole world. That more people play it than any other sport. That more people watch it than any other sport. 
there's like, wow, this is like, I'm talking about Jesus and it's kind of flat. I'm talking about soccer and it's like, come on. <laughs> that wasn't fair. No, we're lifting up the name of Jesus here. But so here's, here's, here's a reality, and I don't even contest that. I recognize that as fair enough. That's the reality in our world. People love soccer. Cool. But the reality in my life is that I kind of find soccer boring. I'm sorry. I know I'm putting myself in a dangerous place here. It's not my favorite sport. I like watching other sports. I like playing other sports, even though the glaring reality is that it's the most popular sport in the world. But that reality doesn't count for much when it comes to my own experience. And this is what we have to take hold of with a passage of Scripture like this. That can be the reality. That can be the truth of Scripture. But for it to have any power in your life, there needs to be a wrestle within your heart and soul and say, Jesus, where are you in my life? Are you first in my life? Is there a firstness? I kind of want to say ness again. Firstness, ness, ness about where you are in my life. Are you preeminent in my life? You know what? I think the biggest challenge that, that we have as people of faith, certainly the biggest challenge in my life, I've been a follower of Jesus for a long, long time. The biggest challenge that I find in my life is this battle between, and again, using that word, preeminence versus prominence. That in my life, there are a whole lot of prominent things that if you hang out with me for a little while, they're easily identifiable. They're easily recognizable. It's clear that they're priorities. For example, I, I'm, a, I'm a husband. I have an awesome wife. And, and she's a prominent part of my life. My marriage is a prominent part of my life. See it on my wedding ring. It's a prominent part of who I am. I've got two little boys, 20 months and eight weeks. So I'm running low on sleep. But you couldn't tell, could you? It seemed like sprightly. I'll crash in about an hour, don't worry. And I've got these two little boys. And who I am as a father, that's a prominent part of my life. You know, it's, easily, it's easy to identify. It's a prominent part of who I am. Who I am as a pastor, I get to work full time here at True North. It's a prominent, easily identifiable part of who I am. Actually, funny story, just real quick. So I was getting a haircut the other day, and I went to like a fancy barber. I don't normally do that, but some of my friends do. I'm going to try something. I'm going to this cool, cool young person's barber. <laughs> you know you're really old when you start saying stuff like that, like a young person's barber. And that's what it felt like. And I was, I was chatting to the guy and, and talking about, you know, kind of prominent things in my life. And, and of course, so, so as we were chatting, so, so what do you do for work? And I said, I'm a pastor. And he's like, oh, cool. How long have you been doing that? And I was like, wow, that was an enthusiastic response from a, you know, 20-something young guy. And, and I said, oh, probably about 10 years now, I guess. And he's like, oh, cool. So, so do you own your own business? And I was like, what? <laughs> and, and I was just kind of ticking over. I was like, no, we don't really operate like that. He's like, Man, if you want to make serious money, you got to own your own business, set up your own business. I'm like, oh, it's not really what we're about, you know. It's like, it's not, not really the deal. And this kind of, we were just confusing the heck out of each other for the next few minutes. And then I realized that he thought I'd said plasterer. He's like, and because he said something about a wall, and I was like, what? It's like, and he said, talking about, you know, you make more money if you're like, is this guy like a dodgy church planter or something? It's like, just trying to get my head around what's going on here. And it's, oh, you thought I said plasterer. No, I'm a pastor. And then it got awkward. 
<laughs> and we, you know, we hung out. He, um, he trimmed my beard and stuff with a cutthroat. That was scary, but fun. And, and it's so, so, so this idea of these identifier things, and in your life, there are prominent things that as people are having conversations with you, they recognize straight away. Now, initially, it seems like a pretty awesome thing that Jesus would be prominent in your life, that Jesus would be prominent in my life, that he'd be one of the big things that defines who we are. And maybe that's the first step. But if Jesus is only prominent in our lives, it means two things. It means he's prominent among other things that are prominent. He's shaped by the other prominent things in our life. He's one of several key priorities. Maybe he's in the top five most important things that shape who you are. But when I layer that experience of faith over what we read in Scripture, there isn't a firstness to it. That Christ actually needs to be preeminent in my life. If I'm going to be the person that Christ invites me to be, He needs to be first in my life, meaning that every other thing of prominence in my life exists through Him, is shaped by Him, that who I am as a husband is radically shaped by who Jesus is in my life, that who I am as a father is radically shaped by who Jesus is. They're not prominent things that exist on the same plane, but rather Jesus shapes and defines everything of prominence in my life. That's the firstness of Jesus in our lives. And this is what Paul is speaking into when he talks about the firstness of Jesus, the firstborn over all creation, everything held together in him, everything created through him, everything for him. He is before all things and everything holds together within him. Let's think about that idea of being held together in him. I've talked about how this can play out in our own individual lives, this idea of preeminence versus prominence. Now, let's speak again into the shape that we're becoming together as a church here at True North. And I want to take you to verse 17, and then we're going to flow through a couple of verses as well. And it says this, He's before all things. In Him, all things hold together. Now, see how these two verses link together, starting in verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from among the dead. Paul speaking to the resurrection and what Christ did on the cross on our behalf, defeating sin in the grave. So that in everything he might have the supremacy, in everything he might be first. But in these three, two verses, I see this link between being held together in him. When I think about what it means to be the church and him being the head. That if we're going to become what Christ dreams us to be, what he invites us to be, we're only going to make it there if Jesus is the head every single step of the way. We're only going to make it when we go back to him every step of the way and say, Jesus, what should it look like here? Jesus, how how should we do this? That everything we are is shaped by who he is. That we as a church, we're literally held together in Him. And if He isn't the head, we're not going to be held together anymore. Anyone here love mucking around with decks of cards? Anyone built a house of cards before? 
Yeah, you enjoy it. It's good fun, right? You're like piecing it all together. It, it's a fun thing. Yeah, build a, build a house car. Actually, I say it's a fun thing. I, I'm terrible at it. I like the discipline and the patience. But I love watching other people do it. I love watching other people do it. And, and of course, the premise is with a great degree of skill and patience and discipline, you slowly but surely, with a lot of skill, stack these cards up. And all of a sudden, they get higher and higher and higher. And you're left with this really impressive house of cards that took a lot of ability, took a lot of skill, took a lot of talent to build it. But then there's an inevitable reality of what happens to a house of cards, isn't it? Boosh. That sucker's fallen down. Whether it's a younger, enterprising sibling that wants to ruin your fun, a gust of wind, whatever it is, the final destination of that house of cards is a heap of cards on the floor or the coffee table or wherever it's being built. Now, this is a picture of the church attempting to build itself into what God designs without Jesus at the head. We can come together with all of our skill, with all of our talent, with all of our ability, with all of our discipline, with all of our work ethic, with everything that's best about us. We can come together and say, God, we're going to build your church. But if Jesus isn't the head, it's going to fall in a heap. No matter how brilliant any one of us is, if Jesus isn't the head, every new step, every new season, forget about it. Forget about it. Jesus must be the head of who we are. And if we're going to hold together in him from season to season, everything needs to be shaped by who he is. He needs to be preeminent in our church preeminent at true north, the firstness of Jesus. You know, it's possible. It's actually possible to be a church where Jesus is just a notable feature of several things that a church does. I'm not saying this is us. I'm not saying it ever has been us. But I recognize that if anyone, if any group of people Stop going back to Christ. Stop recognizing His Lordship. Jesus can just become a part of what we do. Oh God, would that never be the reality here at True North? Jesus, would we always hold on to you? Would you lead us into your presence, inviting us to be a part of what you're doing? God, that we'd never try to cram you into what we think is a good idea. Jesus, be first, we pray. Be first. You know, when Jesus is preeminent in a church, it affects things. It shapes things. You know, there's something at our, at our Malaloo campus that I love that I had very little to do with. Actually, I say very little. It was nothing. I had nothing to do with it. But I'm so grateful that someone had a heart for it in response to how Jesus was leading them. In our, in our campus at Malaloo, there's, there's one bathroom that has a shower, one bathroom that has a shower. And that could have been like a cool bathroom for like all the staff if they need a shower, maybe halfway through the day, getting a bit stinky. And uh, it, that happens to everyone, right? Or is that just me? Uh, but, but anyway, we've got, we've, got, we've got this bathroom. There's, there's one bathroom in the shower. It's kind of this really cool thing. But the shape that that bathroom's actually taken is the, that it's set aside and it's there for homeless people in our community to come and use. And it's set up beautifully. There's these fancy little bags with soaps and things. Oh, I wish my bathroom looked like that. 
I guess I could make it look like that if I wanted, but I don't. But it's this incredible space, and I just share that as a picture to how we can continue to step into what Christ calls us to. Because if Jesus is preeminent in his church, every single thing we do, the way we use our bathroom has to be profoundly different. Everything we do, our services need to be different because of who Jesus is. Our connect groups, our youth ministry, everything about us should be different if Jesus is at the head. And praise God, we are a part of a church together that recognizes the truth of this. But we got to keep pushing the name of Jesus higher. Every new day, every new season, say, Jesus, you will be first in my life, in our church together here at True North. Jesus affects everything. Let me take you to verse 19. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. You know, if you've never heard the gospel message, if you've never heard the power that's in the name of Jesus, This is summarized in a few short verses. That Jesus, through the cross, has reconciled me back to my creator. That because of the cross, I'm redeemed, I'm renewed. I'm invited by God for a life of purpose. It's why we exist as a church. But I want to do something fun for a second. You see there's some some yellow text there. And I want to zero in on these three phrases. In him, through him, And to him, I'm going to change that last word. Now, as a general rule, you shouldn't do that when you're reading the Bible, change words willy-nilly. But but I just want to focus the emphasis here. In him, through him, to him. So we're going to read this verse again. And I'm going to throw to you guys, and I want you to read the yellow bit. Everyone get that? We We good? Okay, here we go. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell and... To reconcile, yeah, I knew there'd still be half of you that would say himself no matter what. And I appreciate that. The Word of God. We can't go changing words. In him, through him, to him. Now again, Paul is speaking into our understanding of who Jesus is. So let's look at that in him. The fullness of who God is residing within Jesus. And then through the fullness of God in Jesus, all of God's power, all of God's love, all of God's grace, Christ miraculously does what only Jesus can do upon the cross to point people back to himself. See, God the Father, the Son, the Spirit, all operating as one. So the fullness of God in me, through that, I can point people back to him. Now, here's something cool that we can do in this moment. That Christ actually invites us as the church to take on his mandate, to take on his heart for the world. We're kind of God's A plan to see the world transformed by the love and grace of the Father. And so when we think about what it means to be a person of faith, we actually can layer ourselves over what Paul's talking about here. That we can say, in him... 
or in me, the fullness of God's Spirit resides when I remain in Him. When we remain in Him, through the Holy Spirit, the fullness of God's presence resides within us. And when the fullness of God's presence resides in us, we can do some things that we could never do without it. That through Him, we can reveal His grace in a way we never could before. That through Him, we can demonstrate His love for others in a way we never could before. That through His power, we can season after season remain patient and faithful to see communities transformed by the love of God. And I love it that the whole reason we do any of it is just to point people back to Him. That in Him, I'm filled with His Spirit in my life. And when I remain in Him, He remains in me. And when His power is alive in my life, through Him, God can do some amazing things so we can point people back to Him. I invite the band to, to come and join me. And, and as they're coming up, uh, I want to remind you of another cool moment in the life of our church. A couple of years ago now, we, we came together and we thought about who we were becoming as a church, who God was, was leading us to be, everything that I've been talking about, the shape that we might have. And, and part of that was, was changing our name as a church, knowing even back then that, that soon we'd be in two locations like we are today and, and beyond. Who knows what God might do? But that, that God, God was actually trying to build something in us. And, and we, we, led by God, kind of came up with this name, True North. And I love that name. Not because it's a, a cool name or it sounds catchy or anything like that, but because of what it represents. That as a church, we're saying that we're remaining in Jesus. And when we remain in Jesus, we're filled with His power so that through Him, we can point people true north to the Father. That's why we exist in Him, through Him, to point communities of people to Him. That's the church. That's going to define the shape we take. We stay in Christ. We do everything through Him. He's the head. We do it all through His power, all through His glory. To simply point others to Him. You know, I had this, this really fun moment this week. I was, I was catching up with a, with a guy that, that runs, a, runs a gym. And uh, we, were, we were talking about some different things. And he was maybe going to get on board sponsoring with carols and stuff like that. And we got chatting about, about this, whole, this whole project and the, the facility here and what we were doing as a church. And, uh, and talking about, the, you know, the build and all those kind of things people are interested in. And, and as we were talking, it came to this moment where he just kind of said, so what's in it for you guys? Like, what's in it for you? Like, you, you know, you, you, you're member run, you're, you're all investing all this time, all these resources to see, see this thing, this thing built and operate in the community. Like, like I could just see his, the cogs going in his head, like, why would you do that? And he's like, is there like a, a board of directors or shareholders that are profiting from it? Is, is, is why would you do it? And I said, look, it, it's not motivated by any of that. And it's kind of one of those moments where I'm like, Almost in the back of my head as he's still talking, like, God, 
do I tell them the truth about your gospel right now? And I just said, look, here's the reality for us. Here's why we do it. And he knows who I am. He knows I'm a pastor. You know I believe in God. I'm part of a church that believes in God. I'm part of a church that believes God actually has a plan for people's lives that's good. That God has a heart for people. That God has a heart to see communities transformed. And I just said, look, the reason we do this, no one's, no one's profiting. Michelle's not a shareholder. The reason we do this is because we believe that God loves people. And we want to help people work that out. It's like, then the conversation went on. I was just reminded that, that we're sitting here today. We're sitting here today for one simple reason. It's we know who Jesus is. We know who the Father is. We know that His Spirit, His presence is still with us today. We know that God has a heart for people. And as a church, we're just saying, God, in you and through you, we want to point people to you. We want to show you who you are. And together as a church, we're going to be part of that. The seasons to come, the weeks to come, moments in our days, in our weeks, centered around that heart, that shape that we only find in Him. Can we stand together? I want to lead us in a prayer this morning that Jesus might come first, that Jesus might be the thing that we continually hold on to, Go back to each new step. Say, Jesus, what's the shape I'm becoming? What's the shape our church is becoming? I want to pray for us as a church, but but even before that, I, I want to pray, I want to pray for you, for your journey of faith. And even in this moment, why, why don't we just close our eyes to create a just a moment of privacy here? You can even begin to begin to pray to God if you feel comfortable. But if you're here today, and maybe Jesus is a, a prominent